0: up Joshua 24 today well, I've been slowly progressing through Joshua and the last time I spoke was on Joshua chapter 23 so today is Joshua chapter 24 and uh, if you don't mind I'm going to go ahead and take the time to read through that entire chapter I'll give you a chance to to find it but Joshua 24. Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, and summoned Israel's elders, leaders, judges, and officers, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the region beyond Eu- the Euphrates river and I led him throughout the land of Canaan and I multiplied his descendants I gave him Isaac and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau I gave the hill country of Sierra to Esau as possession but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt then I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt by what I did there and afterwards, I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you reached the Red Sea, the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen as far as the sea. Your fathers cried out to the Lord, so he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea over them, engulfing them. And as the Lord, as, as, as Joshua is continuing speaking out what the Lord is telling him, he says to the people, Your own eyes saw what I did to Egypt. After that, you lived in the wilderness a long time. Later, I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan. They fought against you, but I handed them over to you. You possessed their land, and I annihilated them before you. Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, set out to fight against Israel. He sent for Balaam, son of Baar, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord God, he repeatedly blessed you. I forced Balaam to repeatedly bless you, and I delivered you from his hand. You then crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The people of Jericho, as well as the Amorites, uh, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Gergesites, Hivites, Jebusites, fought against you. But I handed them over to you. I sent the hornet ahead of you, and it drove out the two Amorite kings before you. It was not by your sword or bow. I gave you the land you did not labor for, and cities you did not build, though you live in them. You are eating from vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. And Joshua continues now. Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship Yahweh. But if it doesn't please you to worship Yahweh, choose for yourselves today the one you will worship. The gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my family or as for me and my house, We will worship the Lord. We will worship Yahweh. Well, the people replied, We will certainly not abandon the Lord to worship other gods. For the Lord our God brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, and performed these great signs before our eyes. He also protected us all along the way we went and among all the peoples whose lands we traveled through. The Lord drove out before us all the peoples, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will worship the Lord because he is our God. But Joshua told the people, You will not be able to worship Yahweh because he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not remove your transgressions and sins. If you abandon the Lord and worship other gods, He will turn against you, harm you, and completely destroy you after he has been good to you. No, the people answered Joshua. We will worship the Lord. Joshua then told the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you yourselves have chosen to worship Yahweh. We are witnesses, they said. And then Joshua challenges them. Then get rid of the foreign gods that are among you. And offer your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So the people said to Joshua, We will worship the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people at Shechem and established a statute and an ordinance for them. Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. He also took a large stone and set it up there under the oak next to the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, You see this stone, it will be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words the Lord said to us, and it will be a witness against you, so that you will not deny your God. Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. After these things the Lord's servant, Joshua son of Nun, died at the age of one hundred and ten they buried him in his allotted territory at timnath-serah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of mount, goash, of mount goash israel worshiped yahweh throughout joshua's lifetime and during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived joshua and who experienced all the works yahweh had done for israel joshua's bones with the israel which the israelites had brought up from egypt were buried joseph's bones i'm sorry joseph's bones which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt were buried at Shechem in the parcel of land Jacob had purchased from the sons of Hamar, Shechem's father, for one hundred quesits. It was an inheritance for Joseph's descendants, and Eleazar son of Aaron died, and they buried him at Gibeah, which had been given to his son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. May God bless the reading of his word mm-hmm. as we are instructed from it. You know, as, as I was thinking, as we were worshiping and and uh, and having a prayer time this morning, sometimes it seems like the church in general has gotten bored with the basic fundamental principles of faith, the fundamental principles that we read about in Scripture. I mean, you you listen to a lot of popular preaching and people it seems want to hear about the seven keys of financial prosperity Mm -hmm. they don't want to hear about sacrifice Mm
1: -hmm.
0: about service about commitment they don't want to be challenged to consider their lives and to consider the depth of their relationship with God and I was thinking about that as I was mulling over my message and and I think that's part of the struggle even with race relationships,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we're more committed to who we are and what we want to be mm-hmm. than our relationship with God. And if we mm-hmm. were more committed mm-hmm. to our relationship with God, uh, race relationships would literally just fall into place. That's right. And and it seems like you know the word commitment is is archaic in the minds right. of many people. To say that uh, to be a Christian requires a relationship. I mean, that would say you're out of touch with today's people to require that. We're all about having our choices, our freedom, setting our own course, having unfettered freedom to do what we want to do. Mm -hmm. And that's what, I mean, that's like what the American society seems like it's all about. Mm -hmm. Setting course, setting our own Mm selves. And, you know, it, it seems like that has... Tremendously, drastically infected the church as well. I mean, how many times do we hear that a commitment when people people decide or or want to stay committed to God as long as he's committed to them. Mm -hmm. And many people view God's commitment to them as a blessing of financial prosperity, a -hmm. blessing of physical health or physical success Mm -hmm. they think that's how I know God's committed to me if I have those things
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and yet that's not what we see out of Joshua and Joshua is all about especially this chapter it's all about commitment it's about commitment to one's family Mm -hmm. to moral virtue Mm -hmm. to truth Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and yet above all else a commitment to God And in this chapter that I've just read, what we find are Joshua's final words Mm -hmm. to the nation of Israel.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Think how important those words must be. Mm -hmm. Joshua knows he's dying, Mm -hmm. and these are the last words that he wants to tell the people of Israel before his death. Mm -hmm. So how important must Mm -hmm. they be? Now... And in, in in chapter 23, he gave a farewell speech just to the leaders of Israel. Mm-hmm. But this speech, this speech, he summons all the people, and he summons them to Shechem. Mm-hmm. Shechem, this is where the entire nation reviewed or renewed their covenant to God many mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. earlier on the slopes of Mount Ebal after they had entered the land. Shechem was mentioned in Genesis. As the place where God appeared to Abraham and promised him the land. And now, four centuries since the time of Abraham, God has fulfilled his promises. Not one of those promises has failed. And notice how Joshua rehearses or goes over Israel's history. Joshua began by reminding Israel of their ties to the land. Their ties to that land go all the way back to Terah, the father of Abraham. This was back in the days when Israel's own ancestors worshipped false gods. They lived in Ur of the Chaldees. And Joshua was reminding the people that from the beginning to now, their possession of the land was God's gracious favor to them and was not a result of their own accomplishments as a people. All that they currently possessed, the land the prosperity that they had, the rest, the peace, all of that was a free gift from a gracious God. And as Joshua recounts the call of Abraham, it's, it's, it's vital that we notice something very clear here. Abraham was not seeking God. On the contrary, Abraham was in a pagan family, in a pagan land, doing his own thing. When God suddenly and graciously called him out of Ur to the land of promise. I mean, Joshua says over here, God took Mm -hmm. Abraham, led him to a new home. And as a consequence of this call, God had promised Abraham three things. The first was to give him so many descendants that he could not count them. Mm -hmm. Two was to make his descendants into a great nation. And three, was to give them the land of Canaan. Mm -hmm. And so as Joshua spoke this out and reminded the people of all this, I wonder what these Israelites thought as they were standing there on that very ground Mm -hmm. where God had promised this Mm -hmm. to Abraham. I mean, it gives me chills just just speaking it out and Mm -hmm. thinking about that, that, that they were there. And, and they were standing mm-hmm. in the promised land. Mm-hmm. So Joshua has reminded of them of this. And he moves on in their history. He, he turns his attention to Moses and Aaron and to Egypt, where the people of God had ended up in exile and <coughs> captivity to Pharaoh. Well, God not only sent leaders to his people, Moses and Aaron, and brought horrific plagues upon Egypt, But he rescued his people from the clutches of Pharaoh. He did this to fulfill the promise of Abraham. Now, while the events associated with Terah, with Abraham and Jacob seemed so, so far in the past, the events of Egypt were much more recent. I mean, the people that Joshua was speaking to, they may have never set foot in Egypt. But you can bet that their parents and their grandparents had told them about life in Egypt and what the god Yahweh had done to rescue them you know i'm sure you can think of stories that your parents have told you and they were recalling similar stories so so that 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 previous generation that had been delivered from Egypt they spent 40 years in the wilderness And 39 of these years Were a result of what happened When the scouts that Moses had sent uh, Except for Joshua and Caleb Had come back and reported That the land was everything the people hoped for But that the people The Canaanites were too fierce And Israel could never drive them out And so because the people did not believe That God could keep his promise He sent out into the wilderness he sent them out where most of that generation died and yet and yet despite the people's grumbling despite the people's complaining joshua could now remind them that god was faithful and brought that generation he was speaking to safely into the promised land and then joshua summarizes he's he's recounting all this he summarized The events that we would find in other places in Scripture out of numbers where God refused to put a curse on Israel and then Israel's defeat of the Amorites. I mean, that helped them prepare Mm -hmm. to take on the Canaanites. These were early battles which helped Joshua, let's face it, organize the armies of Israel and prepare them to take on the Canaanites as well as demonstrating to the people of Israel that if God fought for them, they could not lose mm-hmm. and then he's, he's wrapping up this summation of history he tells them, he reminds them about their entrance into the land of Canaan, about crossing over the Jordan River, mm-hmm. conquering Jericho and the other nations living in the land and gaining the inheritance that God mm-hmm. has promised now all of this, this the the point of this review of Israel's history was to one, remind them of their covenant keeping God, of their promise keeping God, mm-hmm. and also to bring to the forefront of their minds and their thinking and of ours the sovereign initiative of God's saving grace. I mean, I, I tried to put a little emphasis on certain key words as I was reading through.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I took your father Abraham, I led him throughout the land of Canaan, I multiplied his descendants. I gave Isaac. To Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave the hill country. I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt. And it goes on. Mm -hmm. I counted 21 times (laughs) that that you see this, that God's drawing attention to the fact that he did this Mm -hmm. for the sake of Israel. Israel didn't do it. And you think about it again and again, the ultimate reason why Abraham came out of paganism was God says, I took him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I hope that we, that you realize the ultimate reason that you were sitting here right now, the ultimate reason that you have forgiveness of sins that, that, that we sang about, that we, that we acknowledged in prayer, the reason you have forgiveness of sins and a hope of eternity is because God in his sovereign initiative took you and took you and took you mm-hmm. God took you and brought you to this place the reason that we have a gateway christian fellowship is because of God's sovereign initiative
1: mm-hmm.
0: i hope we can we we can grasp that to me it's 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 oh just wow mm-hmm. And, and it's important to understand that Joshua did this for, for another reason as well. He was about to call the people of Israel to commit themselves wholeheartedly, unconditionally to God. And he said, before I do that, I want to confront you one more time. I want it to be very clear in your minds that all that you are, all that you have, all that you hope to achieve is because of God's sovereign, saving, gracious initiative in your lives. And I think that one of the things to pull out of the text is that same challenge for us. How many of us think about our own lives every day in that aspect? Do you see, do we see that, that all that we are, all that we have, Everything that has happened in our lives is all because of God's sovereign, saving, gracious initiative. You two met because of God's saving, gracious initiative in your lives. We're all here. We are family because of God's saving, gracious initiative in our lives. And as we go day by day, I mean, do we think enough? Do we slow down enough to say, God has done this? Do we wake up every morning, starting off the day, saying, God has done this? Now the question is, if we do understand this, and this was the challenge God was bringing, leading up uh, that Joshua was was leading up to with the Israelites. If we understand this, how? Do we respond? What's our response supposed to be? Joshua. Ask the people to respond. He says. Now in light. Of what I have just reviewed with you. Fear the Lord. And worship him in sincerity. And in truth. Get rid of the gods. Your fathers worshiped. Beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. And worship Yahweh. But if it doesn't please you to worship Yahweh, if you think that serving the Lord is offensive, then choose for yourselves mm-hmm. the one you will worship. Mm-hmm. Pick the gods of your fa- Pick the gods your fathers worshipped the beyond the Euphrates, or pick the gods of the Amorites. Mm-hmm. But as for me and my family, we're going to worship Yahweh. So, so one thing that Joshua pointing before them, he's got a challenge. They must choose who they're going to worship. It's clear that th- that there's no sense of neutrality. You know, in, in American politics, you don't have to be one of the two dominating political parties. You can choose to be an independent if you don't like which way either the political parties are going. You really can't say. I'm not really for God. I'm not really against him. You don't have that choice. You can't say. I'm, I'm neutral. There is no such thing as being an independent. When it comes to this. Because indecision. Is. A decision. And so Joshua was calling. For an undivided loyalty. And complete. Commitment. And. And. It's interesting here, the word choose uh, is a a term of continuous action. So Joshua really wasn't saying, choose one time to serve the Lord. And that choice will last you the rest of your life. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, make this choice every day of your life. You're going to have to wake up every morning and choose this day whom you're going to serve. And it's, it's like waking up here every morning and deciding who, one, who am I going to serve, or turning around the other way, whose slave am I going to be today? Am I going to be a slave to sin and make those choices today? You know, yesterday's choice doesn't apply to today. Even if you did choose to be a slave to sin yesterday, you can make a brand new choice today and say today I'm going to repent and choose God today I'm going to serve God well it's still about commitment there's there's an old old cartoon that I remember it's a chicken and a pig and they're walking past a church building on a Sunday morning and they noticed that you know the churches that have the bulletin boards outside and it said the you know Sunday morning prayer is going to be about helping the poor. And as they walked away, the chicken suddenly came up with a suggestion. He says, "Brother Pig, why don't we give all the poor people a nice breakfast of ham and eggs?" Well, the pig thought for a minute and goes, "Wait, wait, wait, just a minute." That's all right for you to say because for you it's only a contribution. Mm-hmm. But for me, It's a total life commitment. (laughs) And you see, Joshua's calling is for a total, undivided, unqualified, unreserved, unconditional commitment. Hmm. Now, the other thing, too, is... To think about Joshua's determination, he says, "Look, if you really want to go to the gods of the of uh, the Amorites, if you want to turn to the to the uh, deities that your fathers worshipped, then go for it. But as for me and my family, we're going to worship the Lord. It's like he's saying." I will not yield to the pressure of the majority. I will not sacrifice faith for comfort. I will not exchange commitment for popularity. I will not abandon God to gain the favor of men. As for me and my family, we will worship God. And yet we look at the people now and their response we think is so beautiful in verse 18 they say we too will worship the lord because he is our god and and yet comes one of the most to to some people baffling or shocking statement because joshua immediately says to them you will not be able to worship god because he is a holy god he is a jealous a jealous god well, that certainly put a damper on the excitement and the enthusiasm. Uh, what in the world was Joshua thinking to say this? Well, I think that that Joshua was concerned that the people's declaration of commitment, right there at that moment, was a bit glib
1: mm-hmm.
0: and casual. Oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're with you, Joshua. We're We're with you. But I think he was very suspicious of a quick affirmation of faith that did not take into consideration the whole cost, the cost of a wholehearted commitment to God. In verse 33, Joshua says something that gives us a hint. He says, Then get rid of the foreign gods that are among you and offer your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So we can see the Israelites were pledging with their lips but they were lying with their lives. Mm -hmm. They were saying, oh yes, we'll serve the Lord. He's the only God. Mm -hmm. While back in their tents, they had a little rain idol just in case it rained. They had a little sunshine God just in case they didn't get enough sun. The Israelite people had backup gods in their tents. Mm -hmm. While Joshua was saying, we will serve the Lord the people were saying, oh yeah, we will, but we've got our backups. Mm-hmm. And Joshua was saying, oh yeah, if you really want to serve the Lord, burn the bridges behind you. That's how you show that you truly have commitment. Joshua wanted them to, to reckon to, to, with the reality of their own sinful hearts, their own sinful inclinations. And he wanted them to realize that just by an act of will alone they would not, could not pursue a God who was holy and jealous they needed God's sustaining power and Joshua wanted them to realize the seriousness of this and to not take it lightly you know they would not be able to serve a God while simultaneously holding on to idols And he said for them to make this kind of commitment and then willfully forsake God and exchange him for idols would be to provoke jealousy. Wow. Jealousy. What comes to mind when you hear the word jealousy? Let's take a moment to understand what God means. In, in, in uh, Exodus, when God gave the Ten Commandments, One of the things that he says is, do not fashion idols or images in my likeness. And what's the reason he gave for that? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And he drives the point again over in Exodus 34. He says, you are never to bow down to another God because Yahweh, being jealous by nature, is a jealous God. What? Jealous is a part of God's nature? Wow, wait, wait, wait a minute by his very nature, he's jealous. This may be a little bit hard for us to understand. you know I can't we we, we sometimes name children names like after god's nature, grace, mm-hmm. hope, joy, faith, but I have never known anybody to name their child jealous or jealousy. <laughs> In in an ancient world, a name was a reflection of character. Mm -hmm. A name was an expression of the hopes and dreams and commitments on the part of the parents and the hope of the ultimate Mm -hmm. spiritual destiny of their children. And yet what we're told here is that also in the very depths of God's character burns the fire of jealousy. Mm -hmm. It's fundamental to the character of God. Deuteronomy says, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Deuteronomy later says, do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. Now, now, the reason that this seems offensive to us is because we know what human sinful jealousy is like, don't we? I mean, we've all, I'm sure, either witnessed it, or been on the receiving end of it. Jealousy's ugly, destructive, <clears throat> rooted in things like insecurity, bitterness, mm-hmm. fear, revenge. That's human, sinful jealousy. And to us, it, even to me, I mean, the the idea that we would ever desc- use the word jealousy, jealous, to describe God, would seem almost absurd to to us unless you understand what it means when God is jealous how can you be holy and jealous at the same time well you see God's jealousy is a zeal to protect the love relationship that he values above all else God burns with a jealousy for the affection and for the loyalty of your heart God, Joshua's saying, folks, listen to me. Before you quickly declare your commitment, you've got to understand how serious God takes this. And you need to take it seriously as well. He's a forgiving God. But if you commit yourself to him and then exchange that for idols, you're going to bring judgment and discipline down on your life. God is not going to sit idly by. Passively and indifferent as you run to other gods I mean think of the marriage relationship can, can, can for those of you that are married can you imagine how, how it would be if you found out your spouse was having an affair with someone else can you imagine a woman who couldn't care less that her husband was cheating on her with another woman or, or a man who's, who, who, his wife's running around on him, and when he finds out, he just goes, ah, no big deal. That's just life. I mean, could, <laughs> you, you can't grasp. I can't grasp grasp that in my mind that 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 would be the reaction. You would immediately question that person's moral character. I mean, don't you understand the the seriousness of this? You would have doubts about that man's. Commitment of love to his wife if he just said, Ah, que sera, sera. Mm-hmm. Well, you see, God is jealous in the sense that he has a deep, passionate commitment to you and I. His love for us is so intense and so profound that when he sees his people, in this case the Israelites, wandering off and suddenly giving their hearts, their minds, their affections, and their service to another God. Well, that's spiritual adultery. It's idolatry. And God says he will not stand for it. But now knowing, knowing all of this, and the people still persist in their response. No, no, we will worship the Lord. And then Joshua says, as I've already read, get rid of your idols and commit yourself holy to the Lord now there's one thing that's kind of underlined this Joshua says there's a root cause for the lack of commitment in a person's life the root cause is idolatry have you ever thought about it in terms of that before Mm -hmm. that the root cause of a lack of commitment Mm -hmm. is idolatry if you're going to wholeheartedly commit yourself to God you must put away all foreign idols and we think to ourselves well we don't have that problem now we don't have idols
1: Uh,
0: but I think there's something else to think about Um, as I mentioned earlier the church doesn't seem to be to, to, to put much emphasis on commitment It doesn't seem to, the church as a whole seems to be rather casual about commitment. It's not high on the list of priorities. And yet, Joshua's telling us that the lack of commitment is tantamount to idolatry. Now, of course, in the ancient world, they had idols. And this makes sense. But for us, well... We don't go rushing out of the church service on a Sunday morning and then go down to a pagan shrine and bow down in the presence of some granite or marble statue. We don't like incense to a false god. But I think that that mindset is an inadequate understanding of what idolatry is at its core. In Colossians, Paul wrote this Therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, or some versions have covetousness, which is idolatry. Whoa. Greed, covetousness, materialism is mm-hmm. idolatry? You don't have to have statues. You don't have to have life, lifeless figures. No. Greed or covetousness, Paul says, is mm-hmm. idolatry. In other words, idolatry is the tendency, Paul's telling us, of in the human heart to dethrone God for the sake of something else. Mm-hmm. It could be money, material possessions. It could be respectability. It could be power. To, it's It's to invest power and authority into something that may be good by itself, but it isn't God. And then try to trust it to do for us what we think God can't do. Remember the Israelites wandered for 39 years in the wilderness because they didn't trust God to to lead them into the promised land that's idolatry to the the level to the extent that we give our love, our affections to anything else on the assumption that it can do for us what God can't we are the idolaters greed well Paul uses this as the example but I think Desiring something so much that you lose your contentment and satisfaction in God. Even if it's just in one small area where you're looking in just one area, looking to stuff to make you feel complete rather than looking to what God is for you and what God has done for you. That is... what we need to do is elevate God above everything else we have to be careful I think even in the smallest thing not to elevate other things ahead of God not to invest in other things that are good but to invest in God and so I'm just trying to try to think about this and wrap this up. You know, I, th- I think that some people maybe don't feel like they can give a level of commitment to God because they, they 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 don't want to give, they don't want to sacrifice for others for the glory of God because they worship their own comfort and their own convenience they want to preserve their own individual freedom they want to preserve the pleasure of using their money and their time in a way that they see fit to satisfy their own desires holding on to their own autonomy the American dream they're not honoring God with all that they have and all that they are and yet that is our call that's mm-hmm. Joshua's call to commitment look at the history and honor God with all that you are and, and the alternative is to commit adultery our God is a jealous God and his heart burns with affection with passion and desire for the full attention for the complete loyalty and love of your soul And he will not allow rivals in the relationship. Let's not provoke our God to jealousy. So, as I close, remind you of the words out of of verse 15. Choose for yourselves this day, today, the one you will worship. And as for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. You know, may the, may the Lord, through his grace, dethrone, take away things in our hearts and our minds that we may have elevated above him. Anything in our affections that we cherish and value more than him, may he get rid of those. May he enable us to do what in our own power we can't do. May he enable us through his power. By his grace. To put aside. The idols of our hearts. And to embrace wholeheartedly. What he has called. Us to do. Which is. Fully. Holy. Commit ourselves. To him. That's our challenge. That's a challenge that. That Joshua gave to the people of Israel. And I think that's our challenge. Even as we have heard this word today. Mm-hmm. Is. And we can sit here and say, oh, I'm, I'm fully committed. But honestly, I know there are areas in my heart where I'm challenged and I'm not fully committed. Mm-hmm. The Lord's speaking to those. And I would dare say that there are areas in each of our lives mm-hmm. where we could reflect upon and go, Lord, I really haven't put that before you. I really do have something that I'm cherishing or holding on to more than my commitment to you in that area. And that's, I think, our challenge. Let's pray. Father, we need to be challenged by your word. We need to be confronted with the truths of your word. Oh, Father, I thank you that your love Burns with such an incredible and passion that you will not permit us to just simply make a speak out with our tongues without challenging it to come from our hearts. Oh Father, help us to 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 look upon our own lives and see if there are areas where we need to take steps to secure our commitment to you. Father, help us to to evaluate our hearts and our minds. Let us not fall into areas of idolatry. Help us to yield it all up for the sake of the name of Jesus, for your glory and for the praise of your holy name. We give you thanks now, Father.